American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Welcome to another episode of American Time by history for jerks my name is joe and this week i am joined by my colleague from the nerd school podcast please welcome the lord artemis prime superman ooh, art star, yeah, art yeah. star. Yeah. what up art star not much man yeah thanks for taking the time to join me on american timelines this week we can no problem take, no problem take, take a break from some of the nerd talk and we're going to talk right. about some. Well, I mean, I think I think nerd talk is all talk nowadays. You know? That's true. Everything like I was thinking good. about something the other day, like back in the day, it was very taboo to be like a nerd. Like if you like, oh, you're a nerd now. Like everyone's like they're hot dudes and hot chicks and nerds now. <laughs> you know, it's okay to be a nerd. Now. So now there'll be like separate factions of nerds, like the hot nerds and then the unattractive nerds are like the NWO, you know red, what? black. It, it, it probably end up like maybe in a distant future. Where like everyone's category, you don't want it. We don't want it this way, but everyone's categorized by like, you know, you're like super nerd, this nerd, this nerd, and then anyone else, anyone who isn't a nerd will be like, you know, living on the earth, on the ground. Everyone else will be up in like floating platforms and floating cities. Yeah, all the non-nerds will be in underground, right. and then there'll be like the wolf pack will be that the old school nerds, the original nerds, and then they get right. like, the new good looking nerds will be something. They'll like the nwo black and white maybe and right. then and then you have like the ubers you'd be like the um ahfo like, from uh the, uh the hardy family people or whatever or maybe the inner circle well where the incels go the incels are like the uh, i don't know the they'll masters. probably be the boys club then <laughs> they'll be like the billionaire boys club yeah so yeah there's all these different we don't need to be smart we have the money. mood <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway Art Star is here to join us, and I specifically asked Art Star to join us because uh, he's got a topic that has to do with wrestling, and uh, Art Star and I talk a lot of wrestling uh, on side conversations on Nerd School. You're here, here, we call ourselves the, uh, what are we, the uh, Rock and Roll Express on the Nerd School. Right, the Rock and Roll Express of Nerds. Woo, baby, the Rock and Roll Express We're kind of the Four Horsemen, whatever you will. Right. But since there was a wrestler, I thought of Art Star, and I assigned him that to talk about uh, later we're going to cover august and september i'm going to try to do that from now on two months at a time to get through the 50s because amy and i uh just a little preview we have some ideas to kind of switch up the format of american timelines after we finish the 50s before we jump in the 40s we might mix it up and do something different so Wait, so yeah how, how do we like i've listened to quite a few and i usually just listen to them like oh this is this era this is that era yeah like so are you guys like you said 50s and 60s, but then you mentioned the 40s. Yeah, so we, we're sort of going backwards by decades, starting with the 90s. So the first season was the 90s, and we only did so 10 episodes. Have you done this? So you've already done the 60s. Yeah, so we did the 60s you know, already, and now we're in the 50s. Okay, it's so weird because I kind of felt like I felt like I've heard something from the 60s, and I thought just now you had mentioned the 60s. 
And then I heard you say the 40s. I was like, wait. What? Well, the 40s would be next after uh-huh. we finished the 50s. But we, we really slowed down as we got more information. So, like, the first season, we did the 90s, and it was, like, one episode per year. So, which was, in hindsight, like, we missed a lot of stuff because we just tried to mm-hmm. cram a whole year into one episode. Uh, but I was, we were just trying to learn what we were doing. Right. And then, uh, and then we went to the 80s. And then I think after we finished the 80s, we kind of figured out there's so much more stuff we want to talk about. So I think, right. so I think when we got to season three in the 70s, we started doing more, you know, breaking it down by like doing a few episodes per year. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we got to the 60s and 50s, we're like, geez, that's one month per episode instead of a whole year in one episode. Right. Uh, but then, then we started feeling like that's probably too much. So the 60s was so we're only in 1954 and we've been on the fifties for a while now. So we're both like, boy, now we're jumping into the monotony. Like we're almost covering too much. And the farther back you go in history, the, the, the more, yeah, the more shitty it is and the sad, the more sad you feel right? about, you know, well, the sixties were rough, just made us feel terrible about every like races. Like the country is just built. Right. And so now you're like, you're going, you're digressing. So you're going backwards. And so it's now like we're kind of like deeper into the root. Well, yeah, and that's what we 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 originally wanted to do this. I mean, we know we're not going to be Conan O'Brien or famous or anything. We're doing this right. for fun to kind of just for my wife and I do something together. And she likes true crime, and I like pop culture. And then, but then we found ourselves just always talking about racism and uh, civil rights and, and like horrible things the government has done to mm-hmm. poor people, you know, and just. And like we're finding ourselves sad, and we're like, now we don't want to whitewash over stuff, but we feel like we've we've talked ad nauseum about how awful things are. So I'm right. trying to ease up a little bit, just talk about fun stuff again. Um, so we're kind of like still trying to figure it out. It's crazy after 170 some episodes, we're still trying to figure out what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And Amy had a good idea. She's like, once you do a murder. Once you do 170 murders, like <laughs> they're all the same. It's all the same anymore. I don't know. Hey, have you heard of this murder? I don't know. Probably. Let me guess. A woman was raped and they were dismembered and there was blood everywhere. And and no then, one saw anything. And the guy who did it uh, was abused as a child and was, used to kill animals. You know, like it's just like the same kind of stories over and over. Mm-hmm. So Amy was kind of talking about let's get into like hauntings more and UFOs and like, uh, strange yeah, phenomena. UFOs, awesome. So rather than being bogged down by going in order, we thought we're going to take a break and just go like, maybe we'll do by location. Like we'll pick a town and find a story, mm-hmm. like pick a, a city in America oh, yeah, yeah. and find a ghost. Hey, 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 hey. You're yeah. giving the people too much. We're giving them too much. You're, gi- well, we- <laughs> you're giving them too much. <laughs> well, we haven't decided it, but we're, we're throwing out around ideas. So, right. and so we're going to try to switch it up to add the spot. We want them when they come, when they, when they come listen, when we listen, we want to be like, Oh, Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, this but is you give you're giving us too much now. Like now we can like, oh, okay. I well, see where they're going with it. Well, and I don't want to get any hopes up because we might not end up doing that. We might kind of right, switch yeah. it up because I just stumbled upon a list, and I'll tell you about it later. Like through what we're covering this week, uh-huh. I stumbled upon a list of like um uh, mystery, like solved disappearances, like mysteries uh-huh. where people uh-huh. were missing and they were solved, but it dates back to like the twelve hundreds. And so it's all oh, it's wow. more like lore stories of like people who are missing and then you saw solve, it solved. So it kind of takes you through the thing and then you find out at the end what happened. Cause I hate the ones where Amy covers and you don't know what ever happened. It's like, she gets right. all excited and tells the story. And it's like, <laughs> right. we don't know. Oh, that's it. It's There's like, no it's like watching it. a movie and you get to the end and it just goes to the black screen. 
Yeah, like the end of Sopranos. Like you don't know what happened. Right. So anyway, so we maybe we'll just cover disappearances for a while. Maybe do a whole okay. season of disappearances. I don't know. We're just kind of playing around with unexplained phenomena. Maybe. But that's why this one this week I think is exciting. I wanted Amy to be on this one because mm. I think this kind of gives us an idea of a place we could go. But it's Amy will like be a prelude sort of. Or yeah, this is kind of a I got a couple stories here that are interesting that I think are a little different than just your regular murder, but it's still true mm. crime. So we're gonna right. jump right into it actually, because to give this context text before we jump into August 1954, I have to jump back about a story. Uh, from the 1600s to kind of give you context for what happens in '54. Ah, okay, so I'm really, high Renaissance era, maybe. Yeah, uh, August 16th, 1660. Uh, this is not in America, but you know, once you're looking for tons of true crime, sometimes you got to jump out. Even though this is American timelines, most of it will be in America. This isn't. Right. August 16th, 1660. A 70 year old man named William Harrison left his home in Chipping Camden, intended to walk two miles west to the village of Charingworth. Driving, it is two hours from London. Two hours, like, northwest of London. That helps. Uh, Between Halfway between Wales and London, where this thing, where he, he left his home, okay? He was intending to walk two miles to the village of Charingworth. When he did not return home at the expected time, his wife, sent his manservant, John Perry, to look for him. This is the 1600s. People had manservants. Neither Harrison nor Perry had returned by the next morning. So now they're both missing. Uh, Edward Harrison, who was William Harrison's son, was then sent out to look for the both of them. On his way to Charingworth, he met John Perry, who was fine, but still looking for him. The servant said he had not been able to find his master, and he and Edward continued to Ebrington, where they questioned one of the tenants whom Harrison had been going to see. The tenant said that Harrison had been there the previous night. Edward Harrison and John Perry then went to the village of Paxford, but their search proved fruitless. Edward and John then headed back to Chipping Camden. During the journey, they heard that some items belonging to William Harrison had been discovered on the main road between Chipping Camden and Ebrington. These included a hat, a shirt, and a neckband. Although the hat had been slashed by a sharp implement and the shirt and the neckband were covered in blood, there was no sign of the body of William Harrison. So they did this investigation and under questioning, John Perry said that he knew that Harrison had been murdered, but he claimed to be innocent of the crime. And then John Perry went on to claim that his mother, Joan, and his brother, Richard, killed Harrison for his money and then hid the body. Joan and Richard denied they had anything to do with Harrison's disappearance, but John continued to say they were guilty. Uh, he claimed they dumped his body in, in, in a mill pond. Sorry. The pond was dredged, but no body was found. So then they started trials. Despite his mother and brother pleading not guilty, John's testimony convinced the jury based on the following three things. Four things. One, John seemed to have no apparent reason to be lying. Two, John claimed that he was the one who suggested the robbery to Richard and his mother. Three, John told the court that Joan and Richard had already stolen 140 pounds from William Harrison's house the previous year. That's equivalent to $21,000 now. Wow. Pounds. Uh, And then four, John had lied about being attacked by robbers a few weeks before Harrison's disappearance. So the defendants had all changed their pleas to guilty because uh, as first-time offenders, they were granted a free pardon 
under the Indemnity and Oblivion Act of 1660. So back then, it, your first crime is free if you wow. admit to it, apparently. That's like, let me just go fucking kill somebody because, you know, <laughs> yeah. I get a freebie. So uh, this is my freebie. But at the time, the judge refused to prosecute the three for murder anyway because there was no body. Because it was believed then that like at, at and this was therefore establishing the nobody uh no crime no crime rule that mm-hmm. England had from the 1660s all the way up to 1954. Um so that's why I bring up this story because it's gonna be uh important because of the nobody no mur- murder rule. Mm-hmm. Um so just so you know how this turned out, um in spring 1661, the court reconvened to hear the charge of murder about these guys. And uh, this time, John Perry joined his mother and brother in pleading not guilty because uh, they now pinned it on John, too. Nevertheless, the jury found all three of them guilty and hanged them. The three Perrys were hanged together on Broadway Hill and Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire <laughs> and Broadway Tower. <laughs> Uh, now stands on the very side of their hanging. So it's where Broadway Tower is now. Oh, anyway, um, on the scaffold, right before they got hung, Richard and John reiter- reiterated that they were entirely innocent. And that, and then, of course, their mother was suspected of being a witch at this point because it's the oh, 1600s. Right. And, and, uh, but and then in 1662, Harrison returned to England aboard a ship from Lisbon. Wow. He was alive. He claimed that he had been abducted, wounded, and had his pockets stuffed with money, and had been spirited away on horses from England by a deal port in Kent, transferred to a Turkish ship, and sold into slavery in the Ottoman Empire. He said about a year and three quarters later, his master had died, and he then went to a port and stowed away on a Portuguese ship, finally returning to Dover by the way of Lisbon. So he became a slave in Portugal <laughs> for a couple of years. Meanwhile, they were all... Uh, hung for his murder and get a lot of this information more on the story uh and linda stratman's book gloucester murders uh and later accounts of this are about a guy named john massfield wrote two plays on the subject the camden wonder and mrs harrison there's also a radio play of the story in from 1994 called roger hume's the camden wonder and the final track on Incubus Succubus' 2016 album, Barrow Wake, is a musical telling of the tale. Have you ever heard of a band called Incubus Succubus? I love Drive. Is it any group that they drive? Not Drive. Um, what's that song they used to have? Incubus had a song. I think it's not Incubus. I think Incubus oh, Succubus. Isn't Incubus oh, with a, a different C? different band. Okay. This, this is Incubus with a K. They're okay. called Incubus Succubus. I, I thought it was Incubus it, too, but then I looked them up and I was like, I think there's something different. Now we're going to jump into fast forward to august 1954 and the first thing i have actually is august 16th which was a monday um, american brand management company authentic brands group first publishes the sports magazine sports illustrated first issue of sports illustrated is now who was on the cover That's it, the line the, on the cover it was milwaukee brave star eddie matthews at bat okay new, eddie and, matthews great new york giants catcher west westerman milwaukee county stadium um, but there was nothing about that in the magazine. Like it's him at bat and you see him, but that's never, never in the 
magazine, but in the magazine, they had stuff about like baseball cards and stuff. And that's what it kind of had to do with. But mm-hmm. recently, a couple things about the first episode, uh, first episode, first issue. Uh, issue, it recently sold for $8,700, a mint copy. Wow. Um, the in-house name for the new sports magazine around, around time Inc was muscles. They called it muscles before they published it. A test issue produced in April of 1954 had an industry appropriate, if, if even worse billing called dummy. And you can see the cover of it when it was just called dummy, dummy magazine. Uh, I'm not sure why it was called that. There was two other magazines called sports illustrated already. The first was a monthly that existed from 1936 to 1938 and then a weekly that lasted six issues in 1949. Time Inc. co-founder Henry Luce bought the rights for $5,000 and a lifetime subscription to the name's owner. So then he owned it. So SI produced just 20 issues in his first year, and they lost $6 million. Wow. It would take 10 years for the magazine to become profitable. And now they got the swimsuit issue. Right. Let's jump to August 16th, where we have our first birthday. As you might remember, Art Star, I like to cover birthdays. Usually <laughs> it's right. birthdays that Amy doesn't care about, uh, or it's some person she she thinks is dumb that I care about their birthday, like a pro wrestler or a sitcom star. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I have this theme song I'm about to play right now. I like to play a little game where I kind of talk about this person, their mm-hmm. birthday, and I'll give you a little They're bit about guess. their bio, and you got to try to guess who it is. I remember this game. Yes. Okay. August sometimes 16th. I'm good at this. Sometimes you are. I think you're gonna get, and it always, it always kills me. I put so much work into make hiding it uh-huh. uh, that you're gonna get it right away, probably. So August sixteenth, nineteen fifty four, mm-hmm. Canadian film director and writer was born in Capuscate. Uh, Capuscasing, Ontario. No idea how to say that. <laughs> Capus, K-A-P-U-S-K-A-S-I-N-G. Capuscasing, Ontario. The son of Philip, an electrical engineer who wasn't a Terminator, and Shirley, an artist and a nurse. The eldest of five siblings, he spent summers on his grandfather's farm in southern Ontario. Sometimes, I'm guessing that farm must have just felt like an abyss. As a child, he declined to join in the Lord's Prayer at school comparing it to a tribal chant. He wasn't even concerned about Judgment Day. He attended Stamford Collegiate in Niagara Falls. At age 17, he and his family moved to Chippewa, Ontario, moved from Chippewa, Ontario to Brea, California. That must have been a titanic difference. <laughs> he attended Sonora High School and then moved. Is this to- Thomas Hanks? No. No, it's not Thomas Hanks. No, he's a Canadian director. He attended, oh, Canadian director. Okay. Director. He attended right. Sonora High School and then moved to Brea Olinda High School. Team colors are gold and green, home of the Wildcats. Notable alumni of that school include Kyle Fogg, professional basketball player, and James Hetfield, musician, musician hey. from Metallica. Classmates recall that he was not a sportsman, this young man. Uh, but I feel instead, like you're dropping a lot of cleats. And I'm nowhere near guessing it. I can't believe it. I got it. Classmates recalled he was not a sportsman, but instead enjoyed building things that either went up in the air or into the deep, like an abyss. Damn it. Out of a stone? Nope. After high school, he enrolled at Fullerton College in person. He wasn't an avatar. 
Uh, James Cameron. Yeah, yes. I was trying to figure. Like I, I heard everyone. I kept. I'm like, who directed Titanic? Who directed Judge? I'm like, I'm getting these. I'm like, it's close. It's like right here. And like when when I heard Titanic for some reason, I don't know how I, I went from Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. To Tom Hanks, because I was thinking, what's that? Um, what's that movie they was in together? Catch me if you can. Oh right. So yeah. like I kind of got like, okay, no, no, no. Then I was thinking, once you said that, I said. I felt like you were naming movies that was big, big blockbuster. I was yeah. thinking JFK. That's why I screamed out of the stove. And then <laughs> when you said deeply, I was thinking Jacques Cousteau, but I was like Jacques Cousteau. And I said, eh. <laughs> I said the episode, I think, of South Park. With the That's why I'm like, oh. Well, then you got to think right of his right age. Right before you said that, right as you were about to say Avatar, I was thinking that. Okay, well, when I'm terrible. I'm the worst at knowing who directed what. Like, I never mm-hmm. know. I'm trying to teach myself by mm-hmm. watching movies. Well, it's just like it's just like it's some people. Some of us, you know, like like your brother. Yes. You know, we 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 grant like like Professor Andy from Nerd School. Yes, directors, um, writers, like of I don't want to say obscure, but like sometimes mainstream that everyone reads who don't really give a shit about. Yeah, he knows. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, but it's like to me, like certain certain movie directors, certain comic book writers. Like, if I like something, I'll pick, I'll pick, pick it, pick that person to store my memory banks. Yeah, where like certain other characters and you know, certain other writers and shit. And I, I won't say I don't care about them, but it's like <laughs> if I know who they are, yeah. like whatever. You I know, think you're like, saying exactly that. You don't care about them, <laughs> but it's like like right now, like for the love of me. I can't, you know, he, this is one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite movies. Which one? <laughs> Starring one of my favorite actors. And I can't even oh. recall who the director is at this moment. Oh, you're But I love Top good. Gun. That Top Gun. <laughs> I love Top Gun, but I can't remember the director. And it's not one of those things where it's like, yeah, I must know the director. No. I like the movie. I like this. The director, great, maybe a great director. Do I need to remember his name? Not necessarily. You know, but it's. I think it's okay. It's okay to, you know, like a movie and not necessarily know the director. Like, like a book. Yeah, well, most people do that yeah. probably. But I just feel, I always feel dumb when, I mean, I used to do improv in Chicago and uh-huh. uh, I was young. I was like right out of college. And a lot of times, you know, you'd get these suggestions and there's a lot of improv games. You'd have to try to guess what you're, your other improvisers are acting out like mm-hmm. and so you would leave the stage and the audience gives suggestions and a lot of times it was movie directors and it's like okay uh we gotta guess you know which movie director this is and if it's somebody like james cameron like i don't know offhand what he directed i think george lucas is all i knew at that time I knew Star and see, Wars. My, and see yeah. my thing is i'll like a lot of times like when andy will say this person this writer yeah you know like um Especially like comic book writers, I don't know yeah, how yeah. you guys like like that. I'm sick. Like like Matt Fraction is the yeah. name that's yeah. in in my head. Yeah, and it's like I like I look at Hawkeye. Um, the cup like right like literally, like literally right now I'm spacing on what other main books he did. Yeah, but like Hawkeye immediately comes to my mind because you know we recently not too long ago just reviewed Hawkeye. Yeah, and I've I'm gotten back school. into reading issues of Hawkeye again, written by Matt Fraction. But it's like, I know Matt Fraction did that, but it would take me just sitting here really thinking 
like I always say I got too much shit in my head. So like <laughs> you, I'm you definitely there. have too much shit in your yeah. head. So I, my I used to always joking around it, like there's like a little monkey in my head or like a little person who just walks <laughs> around and he has to like it's like the movie inside. So yeah. like you have to go yeah. through and start like filing through this cabinet, this cabinet, this cabinet. So it's like I would literally have to sit here and like really think hard as to what other book Mac Fraction is known for. And then once it comes back to me, like, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. But it'll take a hot minute. Yeah, I think Whereas Andy, yeah, rapid fire, boom, 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 boom. And he'll do this thing here. Uh yeah. Boom, I he look got, it I think, like, yeah, he's like a that's that's his mutant ability at that <laughs> you know, power of Andy's recollection. always been a guy yeah. who recalled everything. Yeah. But he also I think Andy used to say that he thought Snap Crackle and Pop were in his or in his digestive tract, like they were in his stomach, pros- turning his food into poop. So that's kind of a funny thing. That's <laughs> Professor Andy from the nerd school. One more thing about James Cameron. He quit uh-huh. college in, uh, he joined community college in 1973 to study physics. He switched to English. Then he quit college in 74. And then after seeing stars, star Wars, well, he became a truck driver. And then when he saw star Wars, he quit his job as a truck driver to enter the film industry. And that's why we have James Cameron because of star Wars. So wow. I always think stuff like that is cool when you hear mm-hmm. about people who are really cool. that did a lot of cool stuff and they're inspired by something else that is really cool. Right. I love to hear about that. Okay. I'm gonna have to pick up the pace art star because we waste a lot of time talking just about that. We're not even <laughs> in September right. yet. So Thursday, August 19th. Okay. This is where I kind of split up my story. I think Thursday, August 19th, 1954, a team from the Monmouthshire Forensic, Monmouthshire, I think English people say Monmouthshire, and we say Monmouthshire, the Monmouthshire Forensic Laboratory came out to Michael Onufredzik's dilapidated farm to search for a missing body of his farm partner, Stanislas Sykut. Stanislaw, Stan Sycut. <laughs> right? So on Thursday, August 19th, this forensic lab people came out to this farm to search for a missing body. And it was Michael Onufrezik's partner, Stan, who was missing. Experts uncovered more than 2,000 dark stains on the walls, ceiling, and passage leading from the kitchen to the farmyard, the majority of which were human blood, but they found no body. Onu Frederick said the stains were from the rabbits he'd skinned, but nobody was buying that load of BS. And he was eventually charged with murder on Thursday, August 19th, 1954. I don't know how, even if you're murdering a person, you get blood on the ceiling, uh, mm-hmm. the walls and passage, but um, splatter maybe. Yeah. And this date is when he, he gets arrested. Uh, but we're going to back up a little bit and talk about this. Michael, I'm going to, I'm going to spell this for you. You should actually write this down. Michael O-N-U-F-R-E-J-C-Z-Y-K. I think it's Y-K. Check. Onu um, Frechek. Frechek. Onu, like Onu Frechek. Michael Onu, Onu Frechek. That's what we're going to say for now. I Looking up the story, I had to look up pronunciations of everything <laughs> so many times. Right. Michael Onu Frechek, uh, he's known as the Butcher of Kumdu. The town is C W M D U. It's in it's in uh, it's Welsh. Uh, these yeah. are Wales people from Wales. The butcher of Kumdu, uh, which is located in Landello, Carmarthenshire, 
in Wales. So the population of this town is around 1800. In 2021, the Sunday Times called the town one of the top six places to live in Wales. The newspaper praised the town as a sophisticated shopping destination and a great showcase for local arts and crafts. And I got this story from walesonline.co.uk. So Michael Onufrechik was a highly decorated warrant officer in the Polish army. He was in World War I and was wounded twice. He earned nine medals for gallantry in World War II. But Michael had a dream, a dream of being a farmer. So after the war, he decided to go for his dream. He enlisted in the Polish Resettlement Corps in South Wales, and he got a loan from the Polish Army funds, and he used that dough to buy Kefen Hendra Farm in 1949. That's C-E-F-N-H-E-N-D-R-E, Hendra Farm in 1949. Uh, I think it's pronounced Kefen, like Kevin. So he bought this farm, and the farm was kind of old and beat up. And Michael was a loner. He didn't really mix with the locals much. He was known locally as Whiskers. A few years later in 1953, he realized he needed some help, mainly financially. So he took on a new business partner and fellow Polish war veteran, Stanislaw Sykut, who came with 600 pounds. So he had some money. So that's what it sounds like he really wanted. He needed the money to keep the farm afloat. Unfortunately, things didn't go so well for Sykut. Because he was bullied by Onu Frechik, who was known as a hothead. Uh, Saiket reported to police that Onu Frechik had beaten him up. The same, that same day, he went to a local solicitor to arrange ending their partnership because this guy was a bully. And the options were Onu Frechik could buy him out or they had to sell the farm and split the money. So he was really thinking about this. Onu Frechik was probably pissed. But by the end of 1953, Saiket had disappeared with Onu Frechik claiming Saikat had taken a two-week trip to London. But the authorities dug into this and found that Saikat had left behind 450 pounds in a savings account, and none of his friends even knew that he left. That sounds suspicious. Onu Frechik said that uh, someone named Mrs. Pakora had loaned him the money to buy out Saikat, but she told police that she had not lent him any money, uh, but instead he had asked her to send two packets by registered post that looked like the size and shape of 450 pounds in pound one pound notes the police knew about michael's violent hot-headed behavior so they started keeping a close eye on him even doing some elaborate searches of the farm but still never found a body conflicting reports of psychics started floating around town He'd apparently gone to London. Somebody said he returned to Poland. Anu Frechik even started telling folks that he'd been kidnapped at gunpoint by Polish secret police. Police soon discovered that Anu Frechik attempted to forge a transfer of the deeds to the farm solely in his name. So they decided to bring out this team from Monmouthshire that I told you about mm-hmm. on, August, on August 19th uh, to do a search of the farm. And that's when they discovered the blood stains. They knew it was human. And so after they arrested him, the jury at the 12 day trial in November uh, returned a guilty verdict and he was sentenced to death. Now, Anu Frechik appealed partially based on the no body, no murder, murder rule that was established as far as back as that other story in 1600. Uh, 
but it was dismissed by the Lord Chief Justice Lord Goddard, saying things had moved on since the days of the Camden Wonder in 1660. And it is equally clear that the fact of death, like any other fact, can be proved by circumstantial evidence. That is to say, evidence of facts which lead to one conclusion, provided that the jury are satisfied and are warned that it must lead to one conclusion only. So he was con- convicted and sentenced to death. Uh, you know, back then they didn't have DNA or anything, so they couldn't test the blood. Right. But a right. sentence was later commuted to one of life imprisonment. Imprisonment, a case often quoted as a precedent whenever a missing body murder comes to trial. Upon his release in 1965, though, Onu Frechik returned to Kumdu. Wait, so he got sentenced in 1954 to life in prison. Yeah, and but he they released, released in 1965. Eleven years later, I guess he was old. I'm not sure why. Uh, but when he got released, apparently he asked anybody if they'd seen his old friend Sidecut. Nobody knows if he's insane at this point. But police always suspected Michael Onufrechik chopped him up, chopped up Sidecut, and fed his remains to the pigs. That's what they think happened. But unfortunately, Anu, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, Onufrechik was killed in a road accident the following year after he got out. So we'll never know what happened. Wow. Nobody, no murder. So if you got pigs, apparently they'll eat your friend, your dead friend. Well, you know that in the movie Snatch, there's um, the one guy who usually fed, fed you know, people to pigs. Cause well, what pigs about the, they don't eat the bones, though, right? Don't you still pigs, have to... Pigs, are, they can devour. They're like, they're like cannibalistic goats. <laughs> That's the name of my band cannibalistic cannibalistic goats i bet if you google that there's probably a band article that right okay and then we got are you ready for another birthday art star i'm ready for another birthday amy amy hates birthdays amy hates birthdays it's friday august 20th uh and this gentleman was born in queens new york albert lincoln blank He's an American weather presenter, journalist, and television personality, actor, author, and producer. He's the current weather anchor on NBC Today show, and occasionally co-hosts Third Hour Today. Al Roker? An, yeah, Al Roker. Al Lincoln Roker. His middle name is Lincoln. He was born in the borough of Queens, New York City, the son of Isabel of Jamaican descent, and Albert Lincoln Roker Sr., a bus driver of Bahamian descent. That's kind of cool. Bahamas and and Jamaica. He initially wanted to be a cartoonist. He was raised Catholic, his mother's faith, and graduated from Xavier High School in Manhattan. Team colors maroon and blue, home of the Knights. Notable people from that same school are Antonin Scalia, who graduated in 1953. He was a U.S. Supreme Court justice. You now know, Art Star, that Al Roker went to the same high school as Justice Scalia. And you'll no, never wow. get that out of your head, and you can tell people <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, randomly on the street. Just randomly. Hey, did you know <laughs> you're going to get put away? Hey, did you know Al Roker and Justice Scalia went to the same high school? The home of the Knights? Uh, anyway, he attended the State University of New York at Oswego, where he received a BA in communications in 1976. And that brings us to Tuesday, August 24th, when U.S. President Eisenhower signs the Communist Control Act, outlawing the Communist Party at the height of McCarthyism. And that's, yeah, on that same day, Hurricane Carol kills 68 people on the East Coast. 
Hurricane Carol was among the worst tropical cyclones on record to affect the states of Connecticut, Rhode Island, and the U.S. It developed from a tropical wave near the Bahamas on August 25th, 1954, and slowly strengthened as it moved northwestward. Uh, going all the way to New York, a few days later, caused all kinds of damage. 150,000 people were left without electricity and telephone service. Uh, following the storm, Carol was the name Carol was retired, becoming the first name to be removed from the naming list in the Atlantic Basin. So you, there will be no more Hurricane Carols. Wow. Sorry, Ar- Sorry, Arthur. Sorry about that. And then when we're jumping to September now, Wednesday, September 1st, 1954, Paul Bear Bryant opens his infamous 10 day football mini camp in Junction, Texas. The ordeal that I'm about to tell you about achieves legendary status, becoming uh, the subject of a 2001 book called The Junction Boys. And it was a, there was a television movie of the same name. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah, I did. I watched the television. You did? You've heard of Junction Boys? Yeah. yeah every, everyone, anyone who knows college football knows about Bear Bryant. He's, he's a big name. <laughs> I knew the name Bear Bryant, uh, uh-huh. but I don't remember this specific yeah. incident. And it's uh, funny because it's another one of those things, like I was saying before, like how you remember a certain thing. Like, I watched the movie, but I yeah. can't tell you who was Bear Bryant, who else was in it. I yeah. feel like it was some big name actor, but like, I can't even remember the name of the. the uh, but do you kn- definitely, do you know, like what the story was, like why it was the big news? Uh, yeah, I remember vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the. Big you thing- my. my, my- my recollection is, 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 it's like, um, it comes and goes. It's like, you remember it? Then like, Hey, I, for- I remember. What was that? About? I forgot. Yeah. Well, I, I have a feeling that. So Tom, yeah. Yeah. It was Tom Berenger with Bear Bryant. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, that, um, I, well, I'll talk about it, but I, I have a feeling that my high school football coach was, uh, influenced by this this thing because he did a similar type of thing to this so what the, the reason it's it's famous is because here, here's what happened texas a&m university hired bear bryant as their head football coach in 1954 replacing former coach raymond george bryant got to the college station uh in february and began molding the team he felt many of the players on the team were weak and not properly trained or coached so he needed a camp away from the distractions on campus so he arranged for a camp to be held in the small hill country town of Junction, where Texas A&M had happened to have a 411-acre adjunct campus. It's now the Texas Tech University Center at Junction. Uh, at the time of the camp, the hill country was experiencing a severe heat wave. And Amy and I talked about last episode about the heat wave. Like I, I just mentioned a bunch of temperatures across the country, like South Carolina was the hottest it's ever been. There's records mm-hmm. all across the country. So this was a huge heat wave this year of 1954. And so it was also in the midst of the worst drought in the recorded history of the region, which had already lasted four years. It would last another two after this camp. And according to the national climatic data center, all 10 days of the camp took place in high temperatures with a few days topping hundred degrees. Practices began before dawn and usually lasted all day with meetings in the evening until 11 p.m. The oppressive heat combined with the brutal practice schedule was too much for many of the players. Each day, fewer and fewer players reported for practice as many quit the team from illness or disgust. 
The situation was compounded by Bryant's refusal to allow water breaks. Yeah, I remember that. They made a big issue about that in the movie. Like they 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 painted the picture that really good. It the did movie. of people just dying a third. I mean, you could kill people this way. I mean, look at what right. happened to Corey Stringer. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, the Vikings player yeah. in the nineties. Uh, anyway, this right, like even recently, there's been some issues with um, you know, track track and field stars and football stars recently. This past year, like, you know, being um, dehydrated and dying because of grueling practices. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm thirsty just thinking about it. Um, <laughs> this practice was not is now widely recognized as dangerous and at the time commonly employed by coaches at all levels in an attempt to toughen up the players. The only relief provided by the players were two towels soaked in cold water. One towel was shared by the offensive players, one by the defense. That's disgusting. Like you have to wipe yourself with a towel that everybody else on the team already wiped themselves with. Exactly. That's disgusting, man. Uh, I don't care what you're playing. Like no sport is worth that. Um, One of the junction boys was future NFL coach, Jack Pardee, who later said in an interview that some players sweated away 10% of their body, body weight over a hundred. They said over a hundred players made the trip, but only like 38 made it out. Um, So the aftermath is that, his methods didn't even translate into immediate success on the field. Uh, they they played 10 games that year and lost nine of them. <laughs> it was the only <laughs> losing season of Bryant's 38 years as head coach. Um, and, yeah, so that's basically the story of that. So I, it's just crazy. And I had a coach, I remember he – I remember even when I played football, all we had for water was they had these, like, metal sprinkler things that we could drink out of. It was like a metal th- – cage and go get water and they will turn it on and you have to just stand under the thing and let the water squirt in your mouth like we could have water bottles <laughs> wow, around like like it was almost like a trial it was like, like a trial like yeah it, we were like we were like, like oh. cattle or something like it right. was i mean we put our whole heads under the thing and you have to wait of course when you're underclassmen you had to wait for the seniors to be done and uh yeah it was nuts like i, I think back and i can't believe, and our coach did this like survivor series thing for those who didn't play other sports you had to go to practice and be there at like 5 a.m. or something or 5.30. And if you made it through them all, you'd, I don't know, you'd get a T-shirt or some kind of tough thing. But then <laughs> it's like, and if you didn't make it, basically you'd be just like ridiculed. And you and you felt like if I want a spot on the team, I got to do this. Uh, right. Terrible. But I always got my Survivor shirt every year, though. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I think back to what I did then. <laughs> it's like I'm so much more lazy now. Um. And then that same day on September 1st, the movie Rear Window, directed by Alfred Hitchcock and starring James Stewart and Grace Kelly, was released. Do you ever see Rear Window, Art? I might have. It's like, I might have. It was American like, Mystery. You know the premise of it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was based on Cornell Woolrich's 1942 short story, It Had to Be Murder. Um, uh, it is, I don't have the. It's considered by many film goers, critics, and scholars to be one of Hitchcock's best and one of the greatest films ever made. It received four Academy Award nominations and was ranked number 42 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Movies. See, something like this, something like that yeah. is one of those things where, like, I, I like watching old movies. Like, I love the movie Seven Days in May. Um, oh, yeah. Like, Vertigo. So, like, so I'll, I'll read something like that and, like, oh, why? Well, like, I can't recall watching this movie, but, like, yeah, here's you know, what it's one of the best movies ever. Is I have to see it <laughs> to say I've seen it. So yeah, Amy, like now, like, like I'm gonna want to watch Rear Window now. 
yeah well amy amy made me watch it i think because she's into like she's always been into horror and suspense and hitchcock mm-hmm. i never watched it but she made me watch it and it's the story of a recuperating news photographer jimmy stewart who believes he has witnessed a murder so he's basically he broke his leg or something like he's in a wheelchair in his living room and he just stares out the window with binoculars all the time oh, and he, he like it's almost like it was that disturbed and uh that new thing that came out recently that's like a mashup yeah the woman across the street blah yeah. blah blah whatever. i think all that's based on this i think yeah. inspired by okay. this so he he's across the apartments across the street he watches these neighbors and he thinks he sees uh, somebody kill somebody and um, he's got a telephoto lens on and his binoculars and uh so he becomes convinced that a murder takes place and that i remember there's this part about i feel like he's he's got vertigo where he falls down a stairwell or something like that. Like it's really mm-hmm. Hitchcockian if that's a thing, uh, but it's good. I, yeah, I, I believe that's, I, I would, I would count that as a thing. Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of, that was kind of an art star moment for me. <laughs> thing that you it was very Hitchcockian. <laughs> but that brings us to Saturday, September 4th. And now art star is going to take it away with the thing I assigned you to cover. And the whole reason yeah. I thought of you for this episode is mm-hmm. this story. Okay, so I um I did a little research on this guy, and like I've also watched a couple of YouTube videos of like his matches, uh-huh. but then also just watching people talk about it, and like you know he's he's French Russian, okay, he was okay. Russian born Frenchman, okay, like so a lot of people call say his name is Maurice Tillet, but also I heard people say Maurice Tillet. Uh, sort of like how you would have like a fillet, even okay. though it has two L's, they still be able to pronounce it Maurice Tillet. Okay. Okay. So, um, Maurice Tillet was born in 1903 in the Ural Mountains in Russia to French parents. His mother was a teacher, and his father was a railroad engineer, and his father died young. Um. I've read a couple of conflicting stories. Okay. Um, one, as a wrestler, he was called the French Angel. Oh. And he was called an angel, one, they say, by his mother, you know, because he had an innocent face. But then I also read that there he had friends who thought he had sort of like a baby face or whatever. So oh. they was always calling him like Angel. And it stuck with them. And you know, he 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 was up until he was about 17, normal looking boy, you know, normal looking, I don't want to say all American, but all French boy. Really? So yeah. And it wasn't until he turned uh 20, around 20, when he started noticing like swelling in his feet and his hand and his head. And then that's when the doctor diagnosed him with acromelia, acromegalia. And that's the same thing. And to me, that made me want to look up this, look that up. And that's like a condition caused by gigantism. But it's oh, also yeah. like because of a benign uh, tumor in your pituitary gland. Okay. I think that's the same thing Andre the Giant had. I, yeah, I Andre thought, the Giant and yeah. also I Paul White, make, make the me. big show. But like oh, Andre the Giant. Yeah, Andre the Giant was born with it. Acromegaly, um, right? Okay. Yeah, acromegaly. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, Paul said, White. I didn't know Paul also, White. Yeah, he yeah. was also born with it, but Paul White got surgery for it. Oh, and really? I think Andre the Giant is just whatever. But like he, de- 
like so Maurice Tillett developed it later in like later in his teen years. You know? Yeah. And then that's do, that, yeah. so that, that's why he that's why he was short in stature. Oh, okay. as opposed to like, you know, Andre the Giant was tall. So he Andre had it his whole life, probably. Right. He was born Andre was born with it. And yeah. I think Big Big Show was Paul White was born with it as well. That's you why know, they're, um, you know, tall. Ron Perlman also got it. In, yeah, as Ron an adult. Perlman, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. As an adult, right? But, yeah, okay. Right. We talked about but that so, on the Rough and Loud show. <laughs> so he, like I say, he developed it, developed it later in his teenage years. Okay. Um, he was also kicked in the head by a horse at one point. Oh, so did yeah. he think? I wonder if he thought that caused it. No, uh, this this was just a symptom of oh, of just, like him growing up in life. Oh, got you it. know, like okay, life just handed him just a bad egg. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. So, um, um, he he joined the French Navy when he was in his twenties. Oh. Like initially, he was going to school for law because he wanted to be a lawyer. Very smart man, very smart man. Um, he, uh, but because of the condition, like his voice started to change, his future started to change, and he didn't think he would be good as a lawyer. So he dropped out of law school, entered into the French Navy. Ah. Um, and he was an engineer in the French Navy. Okay. Um, let's see. And... Okay, so in February of 1937, Tillet met Carl Pohello um, in Singapore. And Pohello was a professional wrestler, and he convinced Tillet to join him as a wrestler. And that's when they moved to Paris and they trained. He wrestled in France and England until World War II, World War II, and then that's when they moved to the States and Boston. Now, this guy, Carl... Him and Carl developed a friendship unlike you and I, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, this guy was a wrestler and he got him into the whole business. And from that point on, they were almost inseparable. Really? But like Tillett, um, okay, so Tillett, in, in 1940, promoter Paul Bowser pushed Tillett, who was wrestling as the French Angel, as a main eventer. And he became a large draw in the area. As a raw, as a result of this popularity, Tillett was booked as unstoppable and was unbeaten for a span of 19 consecutive months. Now you, now you, I don't know if you know this because you, you're just getting back into wrestling. But like the Goldberg, big thing, Goldberg, yeah, Goldberg. But that's been like Goldberg, um, Andre. Recently, CM Punk came back okay. to wrestling. Yeah, and for like it was only like eight eight matches, but he was like every opponent he was facing, he was giving him the GTS that go to sleep. <laughs> Is that a sleeper so, hold? No, it's just basically this Different. move where he puts him up on that on his shoulder, and then it's, it, it almost looks like an F five. But okay. as he he swings them around, and yeah. as they're falling, he like knees them in the head, and supposedly he knocks them out, whatever. <laughs> but like it, it, you know, it's one of those big things where it's like. You know, you have your main eventer who every time he, he wrestles, he never loses. So, like, yeah. even back then, they had it where you made these, like you say, unstoppable wrestlers who, like, oh, he can't be beat. Everybody he faces, they beat them. And they, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever. 
But um, so he this became is, this the guy a- got a big, as they call it, a push, a, a, a big push, yeah, a big, big push, push. They call it in the wrestling yeah. world. So, um, he was the AWA World Heavyweight Champion from 1940 of May to 1942 in May. Okay, wow, two um, years, right? And they, and then they said even as the result of this guy being the French Angel, it you know they had all types of re- other wrestlers who came out. Um, who was you used the term angel? So you had like a Swedish angel, a Russian wow. angel, a super Swedish angel, a Canadian <laughs> angel, a Polish angel. It was like the team, like the League of Extraordinary Angels would, would be nowadays, you know. But um, I see. So by the, by 1940 time, his um, health began to fail, and he was no longer advertised as unstoppable. And his final wrestling match. In Singapore on February 14, 1953, working the National Wrestling Science Alliance Mid South Area, then known as Tri State, owned by Leroy McGuirk. He agreed <laughs> to lose to Bert Azarati. Oh. So that's what I guess that's that was like, you know, his he was becoming what they call in the business, sort of like a, a jobber or someone who puts uh, over a jobber, you know, huh? How yeah. What a way to go out. All because of Leroy McGurk. Well, not, that's just weird. That there's a lot of wrestlers nowadays who later in their career they end up. Some of them go straight out on top, you know. Yeah. yeah. But then some of them they stick around and end up being the jobber because, like, oh, you know, like here's this big, like even Goldberg. Goldberg keeps coming back. Yeah. And he's just there purely for the money draw because he'll come in, he'll talk all of his shit, he'll get in his face, you're next. And then they have this <laughs> awesome match, which. Inevitably and eventually he loses anyway. But yeah. it's like, oh shit. Like this just makes cementing that next superstar's continuing rise. I feel like so, Hacksaw but, Jim Duggan was one of those that they totally yeah. did wrong. Like he I mean, was a superstar, and people liked him, never won a championship, but still they ended up making him being a janitor and then you know all that stuff. But so but and like and, and like the one thing I found that was awesome about this dude is like usually. Like, you know, we had this thing earlier with, like, the whole Sports Illustrated yeah. calling the magazine dummy or muscle. Yeah. But this guy, you know, he was 5'8", you know, had, like, this his deformity. I don't want to say deformity, but, like, like his hands, his feet, his face, they were, you know, swollen. They were, exa- yeah. I don't want to say, they weren't exaggerated. They were bloated, so to speak. I didn't realize and, um, he was only 5'8". I was thinking... Yeah, he was only 5'8". Yeah. But wow. it's like he was so... Dude spoke five different languages. Really? You know? Like I say, he was... He was he wanted to be a lawyer. Like, he was highly, highly intellectual. Really? You know? And, like, here he was doing this sport where... And I'm doing air quotes. You beat and pummel your opponent yeah. until one of you guys can pin that the guys. But here he was. He was, you know, super smart. Um... Well, if what you look up pictures of, if you look up pictures of him on the internet, I mean, he yeah. looks like a cartoon character. Yeah, but oh, which is which is what that which is the reason that they kind of sit there and say like he may have been the basis of Shrek. Yeah, but like he was a friend with this sculptor, and his name is uh, what's this sculptor's name? Lewis Link, and he oh. made like plaster, like they call him the Death Mask, but they were like there was. Three of them, and a reported fourth one. Uh, they made a bust. He made a bust of this guy's head. Oh, really? And like, yeah. 
So that's sitting there saying that maybe someone from Disney or DreamWorks happened upon, you know, I think it was one is located in uh where did it? it was in the Chicago International Museum of Surgical Science. Oh you know it was okay. like I mean at the time, like it was a lot of medical schools and things you always want to just sit there and you know measure his head and you know for scientific experiment. That's oh, yeah. scientific study. Study, yeah, but, right. Like, yeah, so that's saying that maybe someone from DreamWorks happened upon this and like, hey, let's to, you know, check that's this looks like you know, we we found a perfect model for Shrek. Yeah, and like it does even side by side imagery where you can that you can find where if you look put them side by side, you see <laughs> you resemble Shrek. Oh, even in sure. Shrek, they have like that one instance where Shrek's in the wrestling ring and he's wrestling, and like just the way he was moving around the ring kind of reminded me of Maurice Tillet. It did. Um, but then he was also just like Andre the Giant. It's like he was this wrestler, but he was almost like, I mean, there, there are like newsreels of him, photos of him just hanging around like very pretty women. Yeah. He had this whole like this play, because he was such a big name, like this kind of playboy kind of thing. Uh, he was in a, you know, had a couple of non-speaking roles and speaking roles in movies and they're like shots of him, like just being like that extra in the film. Yeah. Just because of his look, because they needed that kind of like grunt looking guy to just like there. <laughs> like he did, like he did just as much in the ring as he did outside the ring. I mean, he did as much outside the ring as he did in the ring. Really? Yeah. Just because, um, just because of the way. Just because of the notoriety. Like, I yeah, mean, yeah. like even just watching some of these old, like, you know, nowadays we watch a wrestling match. You see everyone they have have on like that their, their, their team not team show team shirts their um wrestlers fate um shirt yeah they'll have some sort of sign but every like you'll see like a mix of everyone but watching some of these wrestling matches from like the forties it's like you see like families but then everyone's you know they they're dressed like they're at a Sunday social and then these two yeah. groups in the ring <laughs> tossing each other around I'm like yeah it's it's, it's crazy but um. Yeah. Huh. This this guy, like, he made the most of his um his uh what you call it, his um situation. Yeah. You know, because he, he he just just him getting as popular as he did in those days, you know, like was amazing to me. Yeah, um, I mean, you look up these pictures if you Google mm-hmm. them, and and you got to do this, listeners. Please Google search yeah. this guy, Maurice Tillett. Uh, he there's one of him posing with Dorian Lee, um, mm-hmm. and that's where he looks just like Shrek. It's crazy. And they're real. Somebody colorized the pictures on Reddit. Like it looks really cool. Yeah, so it's yeah, really it's like it's, see what this guy. But looks. I mean, that, and that, that, like it's, it's one of those things where like if you don't know about him, you don't know about him. Yeah. But once you fall down the rabbit hole, it's like <laughs> you just find all these intriguing facts and things it's like this is crazy. Yeah, it's like I kind of feel like it's a little bit like not the way like he wasn't him, really but... big in the drinking. He liked having like tea and crumpets kind of thing. Like he was like a tea person. OK, like he was like, he <laughs> didn't, he didn't wanna, like yeah, give me some tea. You know, <laughs> I was saying because, like, with him having such a career outside of wrestling, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of like The Rock or something who, like, 
people forget he started in wrestling. So whenever he goes back to wrestling, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. He was just a wrestler for a while, you know, like, and this guy looks like he's been in a lot of stuff just everywhere. And like, I even, even just, re, you know, research and stuff. Like, I didn't even know, maybe I did, maybe I just forgot, but like initially uh, DreamWorks, they wanted to use Chris Farley likeness as the basis for Shrek. Oh, really? But just happened upon Maurice there, like, you know, he seemed like a better fit because he has like that ogre look that they were looking for. Yep. Yeah, I've, you know, gosh, he, yeah, he looks very different. That's cool. But like, yeah, so like, and even like I was saying, like him and the guy Carl, so Carl um, ended up getting lung cancer. Oh, really? And like I say, like they, like they had uh, such a connection. Um, so uh, Maurice, he had uh, pneumonia. Oh. And like he kind of like, he was still having effects of the ammonia. And it actually started messing with his cardiovascular system. Oh. Well, you know, he died of cardiovascular disease. Oh, really? But. You know, they died literally in the same house on the same day. What? And it's one and it's one of those, it's those eerie, creepy, like, you know how like this is like how like sometimes, like, I don't know if you ever if you ever had this experience, but it's like let's say if someone's on life support, or like if someone is in a coma and you yeah. say you wonder if they can hear you. Or if they're aware that you're there, kind of thing. Yeah, if they even. And know. it's like you, you kind of sort of just like don't know, but like so like Carl, um, he was on the first floor, and Maurice, I guess, must have been maybe he was on the second floor, or whatever. But yeah. like he was also, you know, like I say, we're in the same house. Yeah. Um, Carl died at nine forty-three. Then Carl's wife. Went to tell Maurice that um, he died, and then he and then she also said that Maurice told her that there was no further reason for him to stay, and then he was taken to the hospital, and then he died thirteen hours later. Oh, so it was almost like this whole, you know, this he had become so close to this guy yeah. that he held on yep. and waited for him to die before he felt like. He didn't have to fight anymore, so yeah. he just let his body, you know, give get do what it was going to do and give out. So many stories like that. It's so right. weird how people and then like and it's one like then they're that. actually they're both they're buried together in Illinois. Really? So it's like yeah. So it's like this dude, he had such a rich life, but then he he was so connected to this guy who introduced him to this business that he ended up loving. Yeah. And did so much because of being in that business. Like wrestling, yeah. it's one of those things. Like even, you know, when we were kids, we had that whole mythical view of wrestling. Right? It's yeah. like you just knew that everything. You knew it was real. You know, yeah. these two dudes they hated themselves. They beat yeah. the fuck out of them and shit. Yeah. And I'm like, and then it wasn't until later on when they started, you know, really leaning into the entertainment part aspect of it. Yeah. Where it was like, okay, this is scripted. They do this. Like, they already know this. But like, back in those days, like, I was even trying to watch to see, like, if you could clearly see, like, them 
selling, you know, like throwing the punches yeah. or making, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's like, it was hard to tell. Yeah. Like, yeah. they were literally, they looked like, you know, they was grappling. It was like, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily bare-knuckle brawling like in England or Ireland or something like that, but like, they really looked like they were scrapping. Oh, man. And I'm like, I'm wondering if they had their word with all and say, okay, well, we're going to have this match, Maurice, for 19 straight months. You're going to constantly win because you're the main eventer. Yeah. Like, I'm wondering if they did stuff like that like how, back in those days. How much they planned it out and how much, yeah. Right. I remember being I mean, a kid. I remember when I found out wrestling was fake. Mm-hmm. I was so, like, I felt like I just found out Santa Claus wasn't real or something. I was right. just like, right. no, it can't. What? And then I, I, I think I still watched for another, like, year or so after mm-hmm. I knew it. But I was just like, and I remember how I found out, too, is my mom had a, this guy she worked with who was a manager. So I think it was her boss or something. She worked at a retail store. He was like the, the regional manager or whatever. And he, uh, uh. he liked wrestling too. And then I don't know where I was and where he was there too, or something is also, oh, I understand you like wrestling. I was like, yeah, I love it. And he said something like, you know, it's fake. Right. And I was like, <laughs> what? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fake. I was like, really? It really is fake. <laughs> I mean, I've heard it. Right. Like, yeah, of course it's fake. And I was like, Oh no! Like he like ruined my childhood at that moment, and that guy. What's? I can't. Well, see, my thing was I was always saying, "My like, man, those dudes are really good athletes because it's like they sustain so many, so yeah, so many uh, things and damages and and just jumping off of this and doing it." Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that there's they're athletes and what they do. I mean, it's theater. But then just to see, just to find out that like, oh, okay. It's like he's selling that, or he he's showing it. Like, sure, he may get actually injured because it didn't go as planned. Yeah. But for the most part, it's like, you know, I'm I started watching. Like, okay, when he hits him, you know, he stomps the mat as he's hitting him. Yeah. And it's like yeah. you're like, Ugh. Yeah. and like you, 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 you're hearing him throw the punches. Oh yeah. Hand, like some of the stuff, like like when they do like Rick Flair chop the the chop to the chop. Yeah, those like, had really actually hurt. happened. Yeah, yeah. but that it's hurt. almost like they've trained their bodies to take that kind of punishment. Yeah. But then it was still him. like, okay, well, this is still real. But then, it, like I say, once you found out that it wasn't, it, it kind of, like for me, for a while there, like I like, I literally would stop watching wrestling just because, like I remember going, like I think I told you guys, like how I went to go see my one and my first and only wrestling match when I could see, like they went, they were pulling their punches and actually wasn't connected. And I was like, and by this time, I'm a teenager. So I'm like, what is this shit? Yeah. <laughs> like, he, wait, he's not hitting him? Not like, how do I believe this is real? Like, I'm a teenager. Yeah. I'm a high-end teenager. Like, I'm like 15, 16. Yeah. I, I know this. <laughs> you know? Well, now when I look at it, because I'm re-watching uh-huh. the old stuff now that's all on Peacock. Shout uh-huh. out to Peacock. Uh, I'm watching some of the stuff that I missed and whatever. And it's so obvious now because you can see the guys talk, whispering to each other and talk. You mm-hmm. can tell oh, it's going to change because they just said something right. to them. And then, and then you know, they like, also have like signs that they do. Like, let's say if they've got them in a hole, you know, with like the camera, we might not be able to see it, but they'll do something like they may tap them on yeah, the shoulder. Tap on the shoulder like, or whatever. You got me too tight. You got me too tight. Yeah. And then they have the signs like, I'm okay or I'm not okay after they do a big thing in the table, like if they pat. But and but then if you really watch it, like there's so many times when they're starting a match where one guy's just 
putting his face out there waiting to be hit. And it's like, <laughs> clearly it's fake. Cause why would you, right. why would you not put your arms up and block it every time? Right. You know, it wouldn't be as back and forth and exciting if it was a real fight. So, but it's fun to watch and the gimmicks are mm-hmm. fun and the stupid mm-hmm. things they do to me, it's like more nostalgic now to watch it. And right. Guys that, uh, hear about the great ones. Well, that was cool, Art Star. So that was that that was uh and, and just to yeah. be clear, we yeah. we don't know whether or not Maurice Tillet or Tillet yeah is the, the basis character for Shrek. Oh, we don't know. That's not like a we don't thing. know that. We don't know that. That's just like, there's no official yeah, there's no yeah, allegedly I wonder if that's no allegedly official. so they don't have to pay his family anything. Right. There's no official like, yeah, well, you know that is Maurice Tillet. But yeah. like I say, if you look at them and you find a side by side image of it, oh yeah, it looks just him, like them. Yeah, they look just alike. I mean, even even like the hands pose that Shrek does, like there's a, a photo of Mari Flay with the exact same hand pose. Oh, the same so, thing. Yeah, so it looks just like him. Yeah. Well, now we've we've been talking for a while, and so this is why I wanted you on because I know you're a wrestling guy. You and I talk wrestling sometimes about the, mm-hmm. what we joke about being the Rock and Roll Express. So I appreciate you covering that. I thought about Art Star right away. I was like, oh, I'm gonna Art Star talk about this. <laughs> and now since oh, we've been yeah. talking a while, I did this last time with Amy too. Since we're doing two months now, I'm gonna try to just burn through the rest of September, uh, mm-hmm. and hopefully, I don't think any of it's like really in depth. So I'm just gonna burn through the rest of it real quick. Uh, to catch up and so thir- Tuesday, September 7th integration begins in Washington, DC and Baltimore, Maryland public schools and shout out to Baltimore, shout out to Baltimore. We got, you know, art stars from Baltimore. Um, and so Amy and I covered this a little bit before this was uh, Brown versus boards of education. So now they're actually mm-hmm. having to integrate. Of course it didn't go well in a lot of these places, according to blackamericaweb.com. The integration of the schools was not without its tensions, most notably in the city of Baltimore, where Art Star is from. Many schools in the working class city featured overcrowded and underfunded all black facilities in comparison to the larger and better maintained all white school buildings. Baltimore caught much of the nation's attention in this integration push as whites resisted the addition of black students in area schools. In fact, a major race riot took place on October 1st of that year with police called in to stop fights at Southern High School. Uh, and in South Baltimore neighborhoods where many poor working right. class. And, and and just a little, just a little, yeah. let me just add a little, like, I'm not a historian. Yeah, but, but you're from there. You know so, where yeah. this is. So Southern High School is, if you're familiar with Baltimore, yeah. is right behind where the Inner Harbor is today. Now, mind you, to the, not too far from Southern, you have a neighborhood called Cherry Hill. Okay. And Cherry Hill was a neighborhood that was basically created to sort of like house black people. Yeah. And it was also a way to keep like, but then it was put, it was put where it's located to get the downtown Baltimore. You'd have to go through white neighborhoods. Oh, so they kind of, I don't want to say hoarded them, but rounded them up in that area. Yeah. And then to keep them out of downtown Baltimore, you know, so it was like, if you wanted to go into ba- downtown Baltimore, you would have to cross through these white neighborhoods. Yeah. So, you know, back in those days, you know, unless you're with a group, yeah, yeah it, was, it was super dangerous. But like, literally, they created this neighborhood to keep black people 
out of downtown Baltimore. Oh, that's so awful. Yeah. yeah and, and that's why I, was, I also sick, thought man. about this too. When I put this in there, I was like, you might have some insight or some stories yeah. about that. Knowing the area, but yeah, they said in, in South high school, uh, yeah, they said back then many poor working class white people lived there and held protests to try to keep black students mm-hmm. out. Although the efforts would largely fizzle. You got, and also not too far from you had what a, a, a part of Baltimore called uh Pigtown. Oh, so yeah. you have like a lot of like Irish people and okay. things in that neighborhood. So it's like, and it's literally within walking distance of church. Like these areas, like you can literally walk to these areas from each other. Really? But like I say, back in those days, you had to, you know, take a chance, especially going in after dark and things like that, just yeah. to get through these neighborhoods. Yeah. To get to that part of town. Well, and as we as we know, and Amy and I have covered this ad nauseum, is that like mm-hmm. the whole thing here is like it's it's just like as we talked about poor white people are led to believe that black people are the enemy so that they don't the people on the lower level of right income don't get together and overthrow the few people at the top and so that's all designed it's all by design to cause strife Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to cause anger and it's just of course you know it's just another example of uh the awful have the lower class take each other out yeah yeah have them divided among race lines and and we can divide and conquer so they say there and then wednesday september 15th we got another birthday art star this time we got a pro wrestler see if you can figure out who this is keith adonis frank was born on september 15th 1954 buffalo new york he was the only son of Kenneth and Hortense Frank. And it's had not two- Adrian Adonis, is it? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, I was saying he had two <laughs> sisters, Karen and Susan. Adorable Adrian Adonis. Yeah, it was Keith Frank. Uh, he went to Kenmore East High School. Navy blue and gold are the colors, home of the Bulldogs. Uh, notable alumni include John L. Luther, the CEO of Duncan Brands, as well as the chairman of Wingstop, and also Billy Sheehan, the rock uh, bass guitar player for... Uh, Mr. Big and the David Lee Roth band. So there you go. He went to the same school. So he was a gifted amateur wrestler. I don't know if you know that about adorable Adrian Adonis. He won a section six title in 1970, but he dropped out and grew bored with school. And for a short time, Adrian Adonis played football in the Canadian football league before focusing on a wrestling career. I had no idea he played football. So that's your like tidbit of information. And then, we're getting towards the end of the month. And this is when I have my audio visual audio clue. I got to add here because Monday, September 27th, the tonight show first premieres on NBC 1954 hosted by Steve Allen. His guests are Willie Mays and Steve and Edie and Gene Rayburn was the original announcer for tonight show. Good evening, sports fans. This is Mel Rayburn. Bringing you the sports. Bringing you the play-by-play of big league football. All this brought to you by the makers of Sludge. (laughs) Sludge, the soap for men. When you come home after a hard day at the office or from the playing field, use Sludge. Just settle back in the bath and rub yourself with Sludge. You can actually feel that old, tired skin coming off. (laughs) 
sludge does a marvelous cleaning job on you, and it contains no harmful chemicals. Sludge cleans your skin like no other soap because sludge contains that marvelous cleaning ingredient, Brillo. I thought he was saying sluts. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of sounds like it. <laughs> that's why That's why I, I, I was just playing through that. And it was very different because Steve Allen played uh, the piano. So he opens the, the show up at a piano uh, and just sitting at a piano talking. And then he starts playing music himself. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what it was really cool. And that's so why I just was playing through it just to see. And Willie Mays was on there who does something pretty cool in two days from this. Um, but uh, yeah. So, and then when I watched that, I swear he said sluts, rub your body with sluts. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe how racy the tonight show was. Uh, and then once I listened to it closer and blew it up and put it on the mm-hmm. computer, I was like, Oh, he's saying sluts. But that's just one of those things like, you know, how, how our minds go sometimes, you know? Yeah. Your mind just jumps that. So Steve Allen hosted, you asked how long he hosted. He hosted until 1957. And then Jack Parr hosted from 57 to 62. And then Johnny Carson took over in 62 okay. uh, all the way to 92. Um, that's crazy that Johnny Carson was on for so long. But um, well, it's, it's great. Like sometimes I um, uh, forget that Conan was on, you know, he was on television for over 20 something years. Yeah, he started in like, 90, 93, I think. Yeah, um, and he just, like, I guess last year, he just ended his his time on late night. So it's like, it's, it seems like a lot, but then it's like, when you think 1962, 1992, it's like it's 30 years. Yeah. And it seems, but like, just thinking now, it's 2022. Like yeah. not too long ago, you know, we were just worried about Y2K. It's yeah, been 22 it's like years. Yeah. It's been 22 <laughs> years since then. That's crazy. Well, I got, uh, I think a couple more quick things. September 29th, 1954 was the first remake of A Star is Born starring Judy Garland and James Mason premieres at the Pantages Theater. Uh, I like to talk about that because we just had another Star is Born with uh, did you, did you like that, Bradley Cooper. I was going to watch them all during the pandemic. I was like, I'm going to watch yeah. them all and see. And then so I watched, you never watched the one with Bradley Cooper and uh, no, I never. That's I wanted to watch the other ones first. So I knew what to compare it to. Great, like I was like, I watch, I like I was surprised by it, and like you did know, you like it. I'm a, it, I loved it. I loved oh, the stars. A uh, Chris yeah. Christopherson was in it with uh, uh, Babs, uh, Barbara Streisand, I think, mm-hmm. in the seven. I think I think I saw like during the pandemic. I think I watched the first one on AMC. Yeah, I Not think AMC. I did too. Is it AMC? I watched, yeah. Uh, Turner Classic Movies, maybe TCM. TCM, yeah. TCM, yeah. I do it. I'm on your wavelength, but that same day that that movie came out, Willie Mays made his famous over-the-shoulder catch of yeah, Vic Wirtz's yeah. 460-foot drive during Game One of the World Series, like known Absolutely. as one of the greatest catches of all time. It like was. catching it over your shoulder is unbelievable. It's the Willie Mays. Uh, Speaking which, of just just yeah. a, just a you know little historical baseball kind of thing, I'm gigging. Yeah, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Bo Jackson catch that he made. Yes. Yeah, I was there for that game. What? Yes, and was that, I was like, "Was that oh, in, shit?" Was that it was in Baltimore? Baltimore. Oh, what? When, when, when he when he walked across the um oh, the um the, the wall. So if was, we, you know, to me, like that's one of those moments where like Bo Jackson is a superhero. 
Oh, Bo Jackson was amazing, man. He was the, or him and Deion Sanders were the yeah. two sport athletes. That well, now and see now it's it's where we cannot sidetrack, but like now you have in sports now like um, the thing in baseball now, what you have players who can now uh, both hit and pitch really good. Yeah, like you know, usually in in, in high school you have baseball players they can do it all. They go to college, they kind of like. Like either you're going to hit or you're going to pitch. Yeah. Like you don't get to do get to do both. But now like that's the resurgence of like saying like okay, this guy like Shohei Otani, you know, like yeah. he can hit and he can pitch. So <laughs> it's just so funny to me that I'm talking about baseball on American timelines, and there's somebody who wants to talk about it. Isn't like just next? Who cares about sports? Next. Right. But uh, yeah. Okay. So back to the thing. So I just watched that. You you're think- talking that Bo Jackson catch you're talking about is when he scaled the wall, right? Hmm. And I just watched on YouTube, and you can see Art uh, as a kid right behind the wall, <laughs> like going like this. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't see that. But, uh, usually, uh, when we went to the game, me and my dad sat in the uh, left field bleachers. Did you really? That's right. Field. It looks like that. Right field bleachers. Oh, right field. Um, yeah. And the last thing I have for September fifty four is comic book related. So, because of the nerd oh, okay. school, I think you'll like this too. So I don't know if you know this. Maybe you do. Uh-huh. Maybe everybody knows this. But did you know that the famous rock opening scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, where the big giant rock is chasing him uh-huh. and right. he's running, was lifted from a 1954 comic book? I did not. Do I know want- Andy would have known. Andy Your brother, maybe Andy, known this? the great comic book sage, Hunsaker. <laughs> but you'll never guess what comic book it was lifted from. You want to take a guess? What book would that be? A 1954 um, comic book? Journey into Mystery number four. <laughs> nope. This was from issue. The issue was titled The Seven Cities of Cibola from Uncle Scrooge number seven. Uncle Scrooge. Ah. <laughs> so he, Uncle Scrooge at the beginning of the issue, I think, is like running from a giant rock. And so it was, it was the inspiration for Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't don't think anybody knows that. It's a stupid comic book. Uh, Uncle Scrooge. Yep. So that's all I have. Thank you, Art Star, for being here on American Timelines. No problem. No problem. Anytime. Anytime. You have anything to tell us about Nerd School podcast? Um, Nerd School is probably one of the greatest, if not best, indie type nerd podcasts out there. Yes. Um, Joe's slowly but surely learning. He's, he's, he's becoming somewhat of a nerd, you know? Yes. Um, As a nerd school, I am a novice nerd, and I'm not, not even a novice. I'm a beginner nerd, and these nerds are I wouldn't star, say beginner. Like, like, you can't claim beginner. You're like a... Um, I'm a wannabe. Like, let's, say, let's, let's go in terms of sports and baseball. You know, you have the minor leagues. You have, like, low A, high A. Yeah. Um, double A, triple A. Like, you're like sure. a high A. Okay. So you're not you're not quite yet ready to be promoted to double A. <laughs> so I'm not like even a triple A. a. You're, you're like a high A nerd. Okay. <laughs> you know? You're getting cool. there. Like you still you still got to get in, get some reps in, get some yeah. time in the cage. You can listen to Nerd School on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Spotify, Google, Google, Podbean, the YouTube's, Good Pods. Yes, good pods, definitely. Yep, anywhere you listen to podcasts, pretty much. Uh, you can go to historyforjerks.com and check out Nerd School, 
American Timelines and the Gruff and Loud Show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here, Art Star. You want to send out our listeners on a song? <laughs> on a song? You want to do you want Goodbye, to sing? Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> Get out of here, Chuck Berry. That's all we got for you. Uh, you want to do some beatbox on the way out? No, no. No. <laughs> Thanks, Art Star. That was fun. Truman Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time by their music.